grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Today's epistle is rather long. It starts out in a way that might seem a little bit strange as Paul is talking about some who think they're wise and claiming himself that he's speaking as a fool. In this epistle, we get a glimpse of the suffering that St. Paul endured as he preached the gospel on his various missionary journeys. To understand why Paul writes in this way, saying that he speaks as a fool, it is helpful to know the context. The Apostle Paul had visited the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. It is a seaport city, an important location. And he had been there for about 18 months. And following his visit, it appeared that he had written back to them at least four times. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about an earlier letter that he wrote to them. And in 2 Corinthians, he alludes to yet another letter that he had written to them. So his second and fourth letters that he wrote have been retained. And those letters have become 1 and 2 Corinthians in the Bible. Now, many problems developed in the Corinthian church, and so Paul addressed the matters head-on as he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians. But then some accused Paul of being bold when writing, but then weak when he was with them in person. That Paul was hiding behind his bold letters, but not saying so much when he spoke to the people face-to-face. Paul called those who are making these accusations super apostles, as Paul says earlier in our chapter in 2 Corinthians 11. You see, these super apostles really thought that they were amazing, and they tried to make Paul out as a weak person and a lukewarm Christian. These super apostles bragged about themselves and their various abilities while putting down Paul, and the Corinthian church was listening to them and buying into their lies. The so-called super apostles claimed that Paul was way too authoritarian, yet ironically, they were abusive to the Corinthian church. They tried to come across as nice and flexible and reasonable people who could resonate better with the congregation, people who wouldn't rock the boat and call sin a sin like Paul was doing, especially in 1 Corinthians. You could say that they were trying to be like the Joel Osteens and Rick Warrens of our day, who were eloquent and talented, looked good, religious, but yet manipulative, Christian-sounding and yet opposed to the pure proclamation of the word and the right administration of the sacraments. They were a people who were interested in their own personal wealth rather than spreading the divine truth. So this all seems rather complicated, these people who were misleading the Corinthian church, these so-called super apostles, as Paul put it. And those people, they addressed... Which, which Paul was now addressing in our epistle lesson, they wanted to get rich off the people. They made up for themselves what they felt constituted a true apostle. And then, of course, conveniently, they showed how they met their definition of what they felt was a true apostle. 
And in their minds, true apostles were those who had eloquent speech, smooth talk. They gave in to the sinful wishes of the people as they attempted to keep the peace instead of riling up the congregation and telling the congregation to engage in excommunication as Paul did in 1 Corinthians. And also, these people said true apostles of the word have a clear Hebrew ancestry and they are, as they figured, true servants of Christ. So by coming up with this type of a definition on who a true apostle is, they then contrasted this with the apostle Paul, who, if you recount, was called to be an apostle directly by Jesus when he was on his way to Damascus. And St. Paul was, as many would probably not surmise, but St. Paul was not the most eloquent speaker. As many would surmise, though, he did not cater to the sinful desires of the people. And because Paul did not grow up in Judah and instead in Asia Minor, these super apostles could count that against Paul. And prior to his conversion to Christianity, Paul had persecuted the Christian church. He persecuted Christians. He, he wanted to persecute Christ. That was the Apostle Paul. And so the super apostles had that also over Paul. They really thought they had a lot on Paul. And the Corinthian congregation was listening to these proud and arrogant liars. And so Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians to set the record straight. He makes it clear that true Christians and true ministers of the word do not boast in themselves. And so when he does boast, he writes in first, or 2 Corinthians 10, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And then he says, I speak as a fool. Let me talk about my weaknesses and the ways in which I've suffered on account of the gospel. So if you want me to boast, I'm not going to boast about who I am as a person, but in the ways in which I suffer. Paul also sets the record straight by showing the people their folly in listening to these false teachers. In verse 20 of our epistle, Paul lists five horrible things that the false teachers were doing to the people. The first thing is they were enslaving the people, requiring that salvation be found not in Christ alone, but in their observance of the law. The second thing that he outlines is that the false teachers were simply after their money. The third thing, they were deceiving the people with their lies. Fourth, they were exalting themselves. And finally, they were even being physically abusive to the Corinthian people. All the while, they're saying, look, we're, we are the nice ones. And the people were putting up with it. And they thought this was the way it needed to be. The false teachers were bold in their abuse in the church. They were bold in turning people away from Christ. And so Paul responded by saying, you like these bold men who call themselves apostles? Let me be bold. Let me be bold in telling you how I am suffering as I deliver to people the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes and gives that long list, which I'm sure is very memorable to you, in which he suffers by being a witness to Christ and the deeds of Christ. Suffering even lashes, being beaten nearly to death, being shipwrecked in perils from his own people, in perils from the Gentiles. A true witness of the gospel does not brag about himself. He does not draw the people's attention to his own abilities. 
as Paul is teaching here. If a true witness of the gospel wishes to brag about anything other than Christ, it ought to be in the way in which he suffers on account of being faithful. And even that is unnecessary, as Paul is clearly teaching in this epistle. Paul's primary point is that these false teachers must be done away with. They cannot be tolerated. Even though they sound Christian, even though they may give some words of comfort to the people, they must be done away with. They cannot be tolerated, for they are hurting the church of God because they are not being faithful witnesses to Christ. What they're doing is they're being witnesses to themselves. Paul's secondary point is, uh, here is that those who wish to be witnesses, those who declare the life and works of Christ to others, will suffer. Paul writes to Timothy that those who desire to be godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And as you heard in this epistle, he did suffer. Paul suffered immensely. And that is so because the world is hostile to Christ and to his servants. We must always remember that, that reality. Of course, we want to go to church to feel good, to be uplifted, to hear the saving word of Christ, to be forgiven. But then we also come to church to be armed and ready so that we can, on account of Christ and in his name, suffer as we bear testimony and not give in to the ways of the world, but to remain strong and firm, firmly planted in his word. And Paul said that the greatest thing that brings him anxiety is not the suffering that he had at the hands of other people, but instead it was his deep concern for the churches. And that's why he continued to pray for them. Many people today are worried about the image that the church has before the world around her. They worry about what the world will think when we will only ordain men into the ministry or when we will practice the biblical practice of closed communion or when we uphold six-day creation or when we teach boldly that we are saved not by what we've done but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that salvation is found in Christ alone and in no other way or when we boldly teach as the scriptures teach and as science has confirmed that human life begins at conception and that having XX chromosomes means you're a female and XY means that you are a male. Yes, such positions in our modern day, which thinks it's so enlightened, are a laughingstock to the world. As a result, when the church remains faithful to the word of God, the world will mock and scorn and jeer and laugh. So be it. They did the same thing to the prophets. They did that to the apostles. They did it to Christ himself. And it happens to faithful witnesses in our day. But while the world is laughing, we gather in God's house hear God's word, and the Holy Spirit is working. For the word of God, as it is scattered, that is proclaimed, if you will, with reckless abandon, will accomplish what God pleases. It will bear a crop a hundredfold, and sinners are added to Christ's church as forgiven children of God, redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
St. Paul preached the gospel in one place and then moved to another. He established churches and he raised up ministers who will continue to preach the gospel even after he would leave. And so Paul was busy sowing the word, scattering the, the, that seed in many places. He did not bother to do demographic studies. He did not try to determine who would be the most receptive types of people to hear the word of God. And he did not alter doctrine to suit the different kinds of people that he met along the way. Instead, he preached the word. Some, fell by, some seed fell by the wayside. Some fell among rocks or among thorns, and others fell on good ground. As we witness the gospel in our day and age to our neighbors around us, we do the same as St. Paul himself did. We don't look to our neighbors and come up with false conclusions that they won't be receptive to the word of God. So we don't say, well, I know what he did 40 years ago, and as a result, I'm not going to confess my faith to him. Or I know that this person is caught up in a moral issue, so no way will they listen to what the church says and be brought to repentance. We don't say, well, that person fell away years ago, and therefore it is no point today. And we don't say that person has some beef with me or my pastor or the church, so it would all be a waste of time. We don't do these things at all. Instead, we let the seed fall where, where it may. Therefore, we continue in witnessing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We trust that Christ will make the increase according to his timetable and in accordance with his good pleasure. We witness because of our deep concern as Paul also had for those who are around us. Now witnessing this faith, telling the good news of Jesus to others is not easy. In fact, the, the word, the Greek word that we would translate into English as witness. So our English word witness in the Greek is martyr. So we don't translate the Greek word martyr as martyr. We translate the Greek word martyr as English word witness. But we have that word martyr in the English. What does that word mean in the English? We use that word in the English as referring to someone who has severely suffered and died on account of the faith. Because that's what happens to many witnesses of the gospel. So through the centuries, those who have been clear witnesses to the gospel have suffered and often died because of it. Many have been martyred. That is part of the reason why too many Christians do not want to be witnesses of the gospel. They're afraid that they may suffer persecution. They're afraid of what could potentially happen to them. They're afraid to take up their crosses as they follow Jesus. Sometimes their pride gets in the way and they're afraid that they're going to have their pride stepped on. They're afraid in their pride that someone might confront them with a question that they don't have an answer to. And so then they just simply keep silent. They're afraid that they do not know enough of the gospel and the Christian faith. And so they shut their lips. And such silence has been a tool of the adversary, the devil, for centuries. Such silence never helps our neighbors who are dying in their sin. Such silence does not promote the gospel of Christ, nor does it grow his church. So will you break your silence by being his witness? Will you recklessly scatter 
the seed and let it fall where it may. Will you join me in telling the good news of Jesus Christ to your neighbor and to your family and to your friends? The work, that is part of the work of the church, to be a witness of Jesus to the world. This work is not simply the work of the pastor, but it is also given to you as your work. For God has given you mouths to speak and hearts to believe. And when you engage in that work, you know that the Lord is well pleased. Now think of it this way. What would you do if somebody gave you a billion dollars? How would you use that money? If you had all this wealth, more than you possibly needed to get by in your life, would you use some of that money to help the poor? You may well do so. Would you give some of it to charity? I'm sure you would. Would you donate much of it away to find a cure for cancer or stop domestic violence or do something else that is near and dear to you? Certainly you wouldn't keep it all for yourself. But now think of it, what you have with the gospel. In the gospel, you have a treasure that is, far worth, that is worth far more than any amount of money that this world could offer to you. Because in the gospel, you have the forgiveness of sins. You have the knowledge of your Savior, Jesus Christ. In the gospel, you know that your sins are canceled out and that you are reconciled to God, your Father in heaven, and that he has opened the gates of heaven to you. The gift of eternal life and salvation is far greater than anything that this world could send your way. And so with your sins forgiven, with a gift that is far greater than what any monetary amount could have, what do you want to do with this treasure? With this treasure of the gospel? You would, like a monetary treasure, want to spread it about. You would want to give it away to tell others to be his witnesses. That way others can have the same eternal life that is abiding in you. That way the treasure which is yours can also be granted to others. For Jesus not just died for you, but he died for the sins of the entire world. And for that we give thanks. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We continue by singing the next hymn as printed in our bulletins. <laughs>